People are the most consequential and dangerous forces on Earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lett. Hello and welcome everyone back to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along with my co-host, as always, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode 11. Our guest today is actually Ryan. (laughs) We teased in our last episode that we'd be talking about the personalities of successful entrepreneurs, but unfortunately, we had to push that back two weeks due to a scheduling conflict. Uh, but that episode will air on November 3rd. And for this episode, we, we decided our goal would be to explore some of the work and research Ryan and his data science team have done on the most common personality types that we found via the Hogan suite of assessments. Although Hogan is traditionally steered clear of labeling people who take our assessments as a particular type, uh, the data show that there are eight somewhat common personality types that we've identified. So, Ryan, what else would you like to add before we dive into this episode about the eight common personality types? Well, yeah, I think it's it would be useful for, for the audience or the listeners to understand a little bit about what we mean by personality types or what people mean by, by personality types. So, I mean, there, there's really famous per- personality typologies out there. Uh, things like the Enneagram is, is one of the more recent ones. But, the, you know, classically, there's the Myers-Briggs type inventory. Um, so there, there's and there's many others, but there's lots of inventories that talk about types and and in those in types in that sense literally refers to totally distinct categories of things. Right. So it would be things like birds versus cats, um, you know, um, you know, animals versus plants like that. They're literally really different categories of things. Um Rather, rather than than things that sort of um, are related, it's like you wouldn't say, "Well, um, let's um, measure a, a, a bird's um, a bite uh, the same way you would measure like a cat's bite or something like that." Right? So they're, they're so they're not really you don't really consider them as having similar attributes that are that are just being differentiated. And so typically, when we talk about types of, of people, we're really talking about distinct categories. Um, and that's going to be one of the things that I think the listeners will find is a little bit different from what we're talking about today. Although we can call these types, uh, I like to refer to them as common profiles because um, they, they really do differ in terms of degree. Not They're not really categorically different groups, but it is the case that empirically we can show that people... Um, to a certain degree, match some of these profiles, these common profiles, much better than others. And, and that you could, in, in, in some sense, um, group people closer to. You could say, well, you're pretty close to this profile versus that profile. So, Ryan, why would people want to use types in the first place? 
Yeah, so I mean, typically, if we're doing things like predicting performance in, in the workplace, like we do at Hogan, or, or even giving individual level feedback about different behaviors and different competencies, types isn't really ideal for that, because you want to get down to that level of detail, you want to get down to that level of complexity that you get with sort of trait based approaches, which is which is really the, the core of, of Hogan's approach. Um, but there are certain things that types are useful for. So one of the things that's nice about types is that it's sort of convenient. It's a quick rule of thumb. It's a quick heuristic for understanding um, what somebody's like, what motivates them, what drives them. And uh, so, so in that sense, types are, are really kind of a useful thing. Um, and it's also can be useful for people who are new to our assessments, right? So if you're, if you're, uh, if you've never really worked with our assessments before, um, when you first learn about them, you learn that it's pretty complicated. And in fact, that's, that reflects the nature of people is that people are pretty complicated and there's, uh, video, many idiosyncrasies, easy for me to say, uh, for, for all of them. So, um, you know, so so when you learn about our assessment system, you learn that there's 28 main scales and um, you know more than a hundred subscales where where you can understand uh, things about the different people that you might be coaching, and that's a lot to take in when you're brand new to assessment or you're brand new to coaching, uh, or even just brand new to our assessment system. So one of the things that that these profiles that we're talking about today can really help somebody with is get a quick and fast understanding of what are some of the themes you might see if you're coaching someone or if you're giving someone a feedback session, you can, if you can identify the, the sort of type that they're most similar to, that might give you some themes to talk around. Of course, we would uh, encourage you to look at the actual, of course, the individual profile and the detailed level and, and to provide feedback at that level. But by having these profiles, these, these sort of general profiles or these types, uh, it can really give you an idea of where to start and where to get going with with some core themes. Well, what are the eight types, Ryan? Yeah, so uh, yeah, so we of course you know you know when I first uh, identified these, I called them you know uh, profile one, profile two, all the way through profile eight. Uh, Doctor yeah, Hogan, you, you actually came around being like. Blake, oh, you're a six. You're a six, Blake, and that's yeah. what you are. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I think I'm a 10, but. <laughs> well, you know, and, and so, yeah, so through some pressure, mostly from Dr. Hogan, he said, look, you really need names for names for these things. And so, so you know, through, through some work, not just myself, but some work with a lot of colleagues, we did come up with names for them. I'm not necessarily totally attached to all of the names. Uh, for them, I think there are alternative names that could work very well, and I've explored those avenues as well. But but for now, let's just stick with the names that we've talked about so far. And so the, so the first one we refer to as rebels. The second one we refer to as marketers. The third one as proletarians. The fourth one as congenials. The fifth one referred to as overachievers. The sixth one, networkers. The seventh one, misfits. And the eighth one, preppers. Okay, well, let's just start at the top, Ryan, and let's start with rebels. Can you tell me about this group and maybe some of their common characteristics? Yeah, sure. So, so rebels. Uh, one of the things that to know about or that's really neat about each of these is you can sort of um, divvy up the population. So Hogan has one of the best global norms in the world, and all of this data, all of the analysis, comes from our global normative data set, which is probably the most representative data set of the human working population that there is. 
Um, and so uh, what's nice about that is that you can actually start to make some some comments about, you know, what percentage of people sort of fit this profile. And with Rebels, we find that about 8% of people fit that profile. And the things that really stand out for Rebels is on the sort of the motivation side, on the inside, they're really high on recognition. They're really high on power. They're pretty high on hedonism, um, but they're also very high on commerce, right? So these are people who sort of want to be famous. They want attention. They want to get things done. They, they want to have an impact. That's one way I would really describe these people. They really want to have an impact. Um, and, and they want to sort of be known for, you know, for, for having that impact, have people recognize them. So, so that's sort of what motivates them and drives them. And then what we see on their bright side or, or their HPI is a really high score on sociability. We see a really high score on, on inquisitiveness. So these people are bright. They're charismatic. Um, they are um, sort of good with, the, uh, you know, good with the public. Um, that, that's what they, 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 they um, you know, our socially skilled would be one way to say about it. But on the flip side, we see them as very low on adjustment. So this group is, um, uh, you know, really uh, sort of persistently dissatisfied. That's the way I would describe them. Uh, they're pretty, pretty emotional and, and they don't really trust a lot of other people. So we also see on the dark side, they score really high on excitable, really high on skeptical. Uh, they also score pretty high on on things like mischievous uh, which means they don't mind breaking the rules bending the rules to make things happen so one other way to think about this group is is that they are also a fairly entrepreneurial group and which is something we can we can uh, dig into a little bit as well uh, in fact in a in several different data sets we have of entrepreneurs this profile shows up a lot in those data sets way more so eight percent in the general population in our samples of entrepreneurs, it's close to 50% of the people in entrepreneurs fit this profile, which I think really fits well. I mean, I think if you, if you, um, you know, you can imagine someone who fits this profile, someone like a Steve Jobs, um, someone like an Elon Musk, um, who are seen as bright and, and, um, you know, sort of good on stage and good at the public, um, but, you know, privately very difficult to deal with, um, you know, persistently dissatisfied with things, wanting to make a change, wanting to make things better. Um, and, and willing to, to break the rules a little bit to, to make that happen. Okay, so one of the main things that we also wanted to do here for the audience was to take these profiles and make them relatable to maybe some characters in pop culture. So if we're talking about the rebel profile, who are some of the, you know, the, the characters out there that we can point to that might make these rebels a little bit more relatable to our audience? Yeah, and I mean, so so we sat down with a, with a quite a group of us, uh, several folks from from your team, Blake, and um, you know, we came up, with, we tried to identify people, some folks from my team as well, to try to identify characters from sort of popular movies or or, or television shows that would that would uh, sort of fit the profile or seem to have the behavioral characteristics that would fit these profiles. And so one was Tony Stark, uh, who is Iron Man from the, uh, from the Marvel uh, Avengers series. Um, and then uh, the, uh, another one that I think is, is well-known in popular culture is Aladdin from the, the Disney series, right? So both of these are sort of uh, mischievous. They're sort of uh, the kinds of people who would, who don't mind breaking the rules um, or who will bend the rules at times. Um, but really want to have an impact, right? Really want to, to make a change. Yeah, but look at somebody like Tony Stark. Obviously, it worked out for him. He was <laughs> very successful in business, at least, but he also inherited part of it. So, <laughs> uh, Okay, well, let's move on to the marketer's profile. Uh, according to the data that, that you and your team have analyzed, 
what does it say about this profile? Yeah, so marketers make up about 18%, a little over 18% of the population, which is a pretty big chunk. That's one of the larger the larger groups, larger profiles we see. From a, from a values or sort of a driver's perspective, we see that this group scores pretty high on power. This group also scores high on commerce, aesthetic science, this group, um, and, and then also on recognition. So this group is really pretty motivated to, to, um, to compete. And that's really, I think, the key characteristic. So when we move over to the bright side, we see this group scores really high on ambition. They score high on adjustment. They score high on sociability. And uh, the only little dip where they sort of score about average is uh, is on uh, what is that? Uh, prudence. Um, so they're sort of um, sort of you know average level prudence in terms of rule following, detail orientation, that sort of thing. But across the board on the HPI, they score generally pretty high. But the real thing that stands out with this group is that competitiveness. Um, and then we see that even still when we spill over a little bit into the dark side, pretty uh, average on the sort of what we call the moving away part of the dark side. So pretty average on excitable, pretty average on cautious, pretty average on skeptical, leisurely, things like that. But we see a big jump up on bold. We see a big jump up on imaginative. We see a big jump up on mischievous, colorful. So this group is really charismatic, really charming, really good at getting people's attention. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, really, uh, I, w- I, again, I, I keep coming back to this word because I think that's the key, the key thing here is this group is, is really competitive. This group of people is, um, very self-confident as well, right? So they like to compete. They like to win. They believe in themselves. And the, the downside that this group has to watch out for is being too confident, right? Being overly confident and, um, you know, uh, possibly taking on too much. Yeah, that tends to happen, you know, with people who, especially on the high bold, um, you know, they they think that they can handle everything and that, you know, they can just tackle everything and, and be able to handle it and oftentimes find themselves over find themselves overloaded as a result. But what kind of characters would you uh use as examples for the marketer's profile? Yeah, so so the ones that we looked at uh, you know, when we, when we thought about marketers were people like Pepper Potts, again, from the Avengers series, uh, Mulan, again, from the Disney. And we try to stick with these themes for this. We try to identify people from the Avengers series. We try to identify Disney characters just because we think that those shows are, are those movies are, are more popular and, and that most people will, will be able to understand who those characters are. But why these people? So like, for example, with Mulan, she's really good at sort of selling herself, arguing that, you know, pushing, uh, you know, being very confident. Uh, pushing that she can do it, right? That she can achieve as much as anyone else. Um, you know, so lots of self confidence um, and, and highly competitive. Those are the real, the real key drivers. And one of the things, and I forgot to mention this earlier, Blake, is that we see with marketers is that they're heavily overrepresented in sales jobs, right? So we could have called these, you know, salespeople instead of marketers because they're so, um, you know, they they are definitely sales oriented, which I think makes a lot of sense because a lot of sales positions are highly competitive. And they require a lot of confidence because a lot of sales is rejection, is being told no, being told no, being told no. But having that persistence to just keep fighting it, that's what one of the things that marketers really have. Okay, Ryan. So next up is the proletarian's profile. Uh, what do we know about proletarians? 
Yeah, so this is an, another interesting one. Uh, this is a group of people making up about 13, 14% of the population of the, of the working population. This is a group that's really interested in stability. That's one of their primary drivers. And they, they also are really interested in simplicity, right? So they see the simple life as the way to go, right? I don't want to be caught up in the chaos. I don't want to be caught up in the sort of the hustle and the bustle. I'm not trying to climb my way to the top of the corporate ladder. I just want to do my job, do a good job and go home um, and not deal with the politics and all of the other kind of stuff that goes on. Um, and so the, these people are seen by other employees as hardworking. They're seen as uh, as being careful uh, with their job, but also sort of being seen as a little bit reserved and a little bit pulled back. Right. So not not necessarily super sociable. Um you know, on the and what's interesting in terms of their Hogan profile is that they're really quite uh, near the middle on many of the scales. We see some small elevation on cautious, and that's where we get that sort of careful from. Is that this group wants you know just 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 like to be sure about what they're doing? We see a small elevation on security for this group as well. Um, and we also see a small elevation on tradition, right? Which I think reflects that sort of attitude towards the. Um, you know, towards uh, staying within the bounds, staying within the rules, um, doing your job and, and moving on. So if we were to think of people who would fit this profile that people can relate to in the audience, who would you pick? Yeah, so I mean, the 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 two that we talked about staying with the Avengers and the uh, the uh, Disney characters theme. So one was the Scarlet Witch from the Avengers, um, and then we picked uh, Mrs. Potts from the the uh, movie Beauty and the Beast, uh, who sort of has this um, you know. Uh, I would say sort of simple attitude towards life, but I think the character from television and movies that really best exemplifies the proletarian profile is somebody like Ron Swanson from the television show Parks and Rec. I was, I was hoping you were going to bring that up. <laughs> well, uh, I just think he's so prototypical of this profile, right? This is, you know, and for those of you who haven't seen the show, this is a character who works in the government and, you know, feels like, you know, you, you, you don't, you shouldn't ever do uh, any extra work that's not needed. You should, you know, the point of the government is to be small. The point is to do the, um, you know, the amount of work that's needed just to make the government run. And that's it. Um, but he's also somebody who likes to do things like woodworking. You know, he sort of likes to spend time outdoors. He, uh, you know, just has a real traditional feel, um, to, to, to life and says like, look, you, you know, the, the point of life is to enjoy the simple things. It's not to be, you know, this isn't somebody who's trying to run for mayor. In fact, he thinks that people who are trying to run for big government offices are just ridiculous. So to all you taxpayers out there, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for a guy <laughs> who just wants to do just the right amount, not too much. No, I'm kidding. No, that's a, we'll, we'll give a big shout out to our, our people out there who are working in government right now. Um, at least those in non-elected uh, positions, we'll say. Um, so next up is the Congenials profile. And Ryan, forgive me if, if um, I'm mistaken here, but is this the one that created a little bit of a stir when you presented in the UK? Actually, no, that was the proletarians profile. Uh, and can, the, 
Can you talk a little bit about that story? I thought that was pretty funny. Well, you know, one of the problems is that it's not a great term. And, and I've acknowledged that from the beginning. Uh, you know, another way of thinking about that profile or another name for that profile that I think would be appropriate would be something I would call citizens, right? Because that's what these people are. They're sort of citizens first. They, they think you're supposed to follow the rules. You're supposed to do a good job. Um, and that's it, right? That's what your life is about. You, go, you get up, you go to work, you do a good job, you come home. Right. And so I think arguably citizens is a better term. So probably the first term we came up with proletarians is probably not great. And the reason for that is, you know, the proletarian uh, sort of has a derogatory connotation to it. Uh, historically uh, speaking, I, I mean, from in my point of view, this is this is just referring to people who who are your everyday workers. Right. Uh, these aren't your Elon Musk's. Right. These are your people who, who want to go to work every day. Um, but, uh, you know, historically there's some negative connotations about that, say, you know, particularly in the work of Karl Marx. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it caused uh, quite the stir when I gave the talk over in the UK, uh, although, uh, Americans haven't had quite the, the negative reaction to it. Okay. Well, sorry. I, I had the, we couldn't go through this episode without telling that story. So, <laughs> uh, all right, moving back on, we'll get right back on track to the congenials profile. Uh, what does the data say about congenials? Yeah, so congenials make up about 17% uh, of the working population. And this is a group that's really interesting because their MVPI, their motives, their values, that what drives them, that profile is pretty low. So this is a group who you know isn't super motivated by anything in particular from a career standpoint. They're, right? they're not trying to be the most famous. They're not trying to... Uh, to, to, to be in charge of things. Um, we do see a little bit of a nudge up on altruism, which I think is sort of the, the hint uh, about what really does motivate congenials, and that is to, to care about other people, being nice to other people. And when we go to their bright side, that's where we really see that stand out, is that congenials score really high on adjustment, and they score really high on interpersonal sensitivity, which basically means um, they're incredibly pleasant to work with. They're very relaxed, easygoing. They are friendly, um, and um, the, they just don't want to offend anybody. And so one of the things that, that actually is really interesting about this profile is that from a uh, employee standpoint, right? So we have all kinds of data on, on all, all, lots of people, and people who fit this profile uh, are seen by their peers, their coworkers, in, in 360 ratings. Uh, as uh, as you know, great. Just everybody wants to work with them. Um, they're just seen as one. They get the highest 360 ratings of any group. They also score higher on performance ratings than any group. That is, their supervisors really like them as well. And I think it's just because ultimately these this is a group of people who's really rewarding to deal with. They don't complain. That you know they're resilient to stress, and and they're just they get along with everybody really well. So what are some examples? Like, let's paint a picture and see what kind of people out there uh, in pop culture might be most closely associated with congenials. Yeah, so a couple, uh, you know, again, sticking with the Avengers uh, theme, uh, we, uh, Groot, or from the Marvel's, uh, from the Marvel theme anyway, uh, the character Groot is seen as congenial. He's sort of somebody who's always wanting to help, uh, you know, doing whatever it takes to help. Um, you know, not worry, you know, self-sacrificing, in fact, to, to try to help others. Uh, another one is uh, someone like Olaf from uh, Disney's Frozen. Uh, again, always very happy, always very uh, polite, uh, you know, um, wanting to help and, and make other people happy. And that's really what we see with congenials. 
Would this also be like Pam from The Office? Yeah, I think that's another good example. Uh, I think Pam is uh, somewhere between congenial and proletarian, right? In that she is really, she's pretty happy, but she also sort of has this attitude about a simplistic lifestyle um, as well. But I think probably a little closer to congenial. So I think that's a little better match for her there. Okay, so um, I'm not, I don't want to out anybody here as to whose profile this next one might be. However, it's not mine. Uh, so the next type is the overachievers. So Ryan, tell us about yourself. (laughs) Well, you know, and and to be fair, I did not know which profile I was until after, uh, we had (laughs) done all this research and then, then I went in and and ran my own scores to see which one I fit. But in any case, uh, yes, it is true. I did fit this profile. This, this, this profile, the, the overachievers profile, about 16 to 17% of the working population fit this profile. Um, this is a profile that what, what we see is, um, I think, kind of uh, interesting here with this one. So we, we see that this is a group that's interested in career success, right? So they want to they want to win, that uh, they want to have a good, successful career, um, but they absolutely insist on playing by the rules, right? They insist on playing fair. So uh, from a motivational standpoint, we see they score a little higher on security, a little higher on on commerce. They also score high on on altruism, right? So they really do care about people. Um, They want to protect themselves. They want to protect others. Um, And then they score very high on adjustment. I think it's the highest scoring group on adjustment. Uh, where they score a little lower on on sociability, they also score high on ambition. They score high on prudence. They score high on on acquisitive and learning approach as well, and interpersonal sensitivity. So we just see a little dip on sociability, which uh, you know tells us that this group is seen as really you know they're they're pretty hardworking, they're rule abiding. One of the things that stands out is on their dark side profile. We see a very flat dark side profile until the very end, where they score high on both diligent and dutiful. So this is a group that says, okay, you're supposed to do your job. You're supposed to do what you're told. They're very confident. They believe in themselves. They're bright. Um, and uh, they, they really do work really hard. And so I, I call this the overachievers profile in large part because this is a group that, that really believes in hard work. They believe if they work really hard, they'll make it to the top, right? So we can differentiate this profile from the proletarians profile. The proletarians profile believes in hard work too, but they're not interested in making it to the top. This group wants to make it to the top and believes that if you do all the right things, if you just work hard every day, that you'll eventually get there, that your true talent will shine through. Okay, so let's what are the what are the examples that we came up with? Yeah, so you know from from uh, the uh, uh, Avengers series, we we picked Captain America, I think in in many sure. respects is sort of the the, you know, you know, th- this is the the, the, the people who are trying to be the well and another name for this profile is uh, maybe the Boy Scout or the Girl Scout right so this is the person who's trying to you know to 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 achieve perfection in everything that they do right and so Captain America I think fits that uh, Princess Tiana uh, from the Princess Frog movie um, uh, is is another example uh, and I do think one of the best examples of this also comes from the television series Parks and Recreation. 
the character Leslie Nope uh, is 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 a really good example of a, of an overachiever. This is somebody who just you know she just works excessively. She's just um, you know she, again this is another she's a government employee, but she's just um, you know uh, believes that that her job is to make everyone's life better all the time. That she has to constantly be working for this, and she also believes that if she just keeps working really hard, um, good things will happen for her. Well, okay, I want to actually touch on another example that you and I have discussed uh, previously uh, that I think also to, to those who maybe aren't familiar with Avengers or, or Disney, but maybe are paying attention to current events or previously current events, if you want to put it that way. But you brought up uh, former FBI director James Comey as a good example of this. Can you explain why? Yeah, absolutely. And I think Comey is that. I mean, this is someone who has a, you know, uh, a really strong commitment to duty. So if we remember some really um, well-known incidents in, in Comey's life, well, one was uh, a couple of weeks right before the election, he announces an investigation into Hillary Clinton. And I think many uh, Democrats saw this as really problematic and that he was being, you know, being unfair to her, whereas Republicans thought this was really the right thing to do. And then uh, a little later on, he opens an investigation into the Trump administration and, and some of their pre-election um, practices. And again, and, and here we saw the exact flip, right? We saw, you know, Republicans now think he's, he's overstepping his bounds. He shouldn't be doing this. Um, and Democrats are cheering him on, right? And so here's a guy that by the time he got fired or was essentially removed from office, um, basically nobody liked him. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this was a guy who, who went to work every day, worked really hard by all accounts and tried to do his job to the T. Right. He just said, I, this is what the job says I do. This is what the law requires that I do. And he tried to follow every letter of the law, try to achieve it the best he could and, and ultimately paid the price for it. Right. Because uh, he just refused to play politics. And that's one of the things that we see with overachievers is they don't want to play politics. They believe that their hard work will, will shine through. So is this maybe a quality that we'd be looking for in a Supreme Court justice? Um, well, I, you know, I, I think so. I think that overachievers, and in fact, overachievers do score really highly in terms of supervisor ratings, performance ratings, all of those kinds of things. I think that's those are really, um, those are, one of the things about them is that everybody trusts them. Everybody believes in them, who works with them. Um, but uh but their refusal to sort of play politics, um, yeah, I, I think you know, in that regard, it would make them a good Supreme Court justice because they would just stick with the letter of the law. But uh, I think it's really hard for them to get in the position of being nominated because um, you know uh, the the people who are making those choices are motivated by politics as well, and so. Um, so that and that's sort of the persistent problem for for overachievers is they work really hard, um, but um, but often to their their to their own uh, 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 well sort of to yeah to their own demise in the case of James Comey, but uh, in other cases to to no avail right to to no to nobody noticing right. Well, now let's move on to the best profile of these eight. <laughs> I guess uh, if you know to the listeners, you can probably assume where I where I fall. Uh, but uh, Ryan, 
tell me how awesome networkers are. <laughs> yeah, so networkers, uh, th- these make up about 13% of the working population. And, and this group is in some ways really uh, a flip, not a total flip, but in some ways uh, a flip of the the overachievers, and I'm going to talk about how uh, that that's the case. So, so this is a group who's really interested in being, uh, you know, well known, famous. Uh, they're really sociable. They're really socially skilled. They score really high on sociability, but they also score really high on mischievous, colorful, imaginative. So they're seen as sort of creative. They're seen as um, good in front of the public. In fact, that's one of the things that they're really good at. They're good at sort of, um, you know. Um, getting in front of people um, that they're really good at connecting with other people. And that's what, that's where the name networkers comes from because this group is really good at networking. They're, they're really socially skilled. Um, and in fact, it's really interesting, this group, because they score uh, really quite well from a supervisor rating. Sorry, so supervisors tend to like them. They tend to give them good ratings. A lot of times these people show up in high potential samples Um we see that quite a bit. We also see this group overrepresented among um, you know, top-level executives. So when we look at top executives or in the C-suite, we see that this group is overrepresented. We see them overrepresented among CEOs. We see this group overrepresented um, even in entrepreneurial samples as well. Not quite as much as, pro- as, as the Rebels profile, but we also see a, a quite a few of these group of people in that profile as well. And so what I think is really interesting about this group is that unlike the overachievers, this group is totally willing to play politics. This group has a really accurate view of the interpersonal and social landscape, and they know how to navigate that landscape within organizations really well, right? And I don't say this as, as this isn't really a negative or a positive thing. This is just, you know, one of the things that they're really good at. So that's why we see this group is rapidly promoted um, in organizations because of that, um, that kind of skill. That doesn't say anything about their, their work ethic or their ability. Again, this group sees they tend to get really high performance ratings in their jobs as well. Um, but it's what separates them from that overachievers is that they are willing to take a little bit more risk. They are also willing to, to play those political games and sort of have a little bit more political savvy than the overachievers who feel like you should just uh, follow the rules all the time. So you're saying they have very high emotional intelligence. <laughs> well, I think that is I think that is actually <laughs> true with this group. Um, you know, of course, we have a way of scoring emotional intelligence on this. I, I haven't done that empirically, but I think uh, we would say that that bears out, uh, particularly on the social skill component, right? That being able to read other people. Um, I don't know that this group is necessarily better at controlling their own emotions, but I will say that this group is better at using their emotions to get what they want. Right. So You're damn um, right. We are. Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I'll just add that, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, who, who from, from, uh, you know, what, uh, popular culture kind of references i think fit networkers uh one is thor from from the avengers uh, if you remember especially in the early movies he's really popular among the people he's just really good at getting people to like him um and so that's one of the key characteristics of of networkers uh princess anna from the from the disney film frozen you know she's really sociable she wants to be with other people she wants she's just really good at connecting with others um and then and then and then, then you know referring back to to Parks and Rec, for those of folks who've seen it, there's a character, Tom Haverford, who is absolutely sort of the pinnacle of a networker. I mean, he's always, you know, scheming big ideas for success, but it all has to do with relationships. If he gets this relationship with this person or relationship with that person, then then he'll be very successful. 
Okay, so one last thing before we move on to the next profile is, can you explain, because I still find a lot of similarities between networkers and marketers, um, maybe just even in the name itself. Uh, how would those two groups differentiate from each other? Yeah, the, the real big difference is that marketers tend to show up much more in individual contributor roles. Um, they are not quite as team player-like. They are really... You know, one way to think about it is that uh, a marketer is much more, but would much rather play something like tennis or golf, where they have total control of the outcome themselves, um, because uh, they're, they're both competitive groups. Uh, maybe the marketers are slightly more competitive, but um, you know, the the marketers are competitive in their sort of individualistic way. They 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 want total control over it. They want to win themselves. Whereas the networkers are much more team oriented. They're much more, um, you know. Uh, uh, they're, they're just better skilled at, at, at building teams, getting part to be part of teams, um, getting into leadership positions among teams. Whereas marketers are just more like, I'm going to work, 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 um, and, and compete all on my own. So, you know, networkers, you're more likely to see as leaders of teams, whereas marketers, you're more likely to see as, um, you know, champions of individual sports. That's a great way to put it. So our next type is the misfits. I'm sure we've got some things to talk about here. So Ryan, what can you tell us about this group? Yeah, so uh, yeah, misfits make up a, a pretty small percentage of the population, just shy of 7% in our global sample. Um, this group, again, like all these groups, they're, they're really quite interesting. This group, one of the things that we see stand out from a motivational standpoint is a really low score on affiliation. So this group really is sort of um, almost, uh, you could almost say reclusive in some way. They, they really uh, pull back from other people. They really don't want to connect with other people. They really prefer working alone. Uh, this group also uh, scores pretty low on adjustment, so they're usually pretty um, dissatisfied with things. Um, they're, and they also score pretty low on interpersonal sensitivity. So we can compare that to, say, the congenials group, which is like, you know, everybody says, wow, these people are delightful to work with. The, the misfits uh, really don't want to work with other people, and other people may not really find them to be the most pleasant to work with. So what I would say is that this is a group that's motivated mostly by, uh, you know, uh, uh, security reasons or fear of things, right? That they're worried that things are going to be bad. And so what they're looking for, what this group is really looking for uh, out of life and out of work is stability. They're looking for predictability. And and when things are predictable, um, things are, are, are way better, go way better for misfits. Um, but the, they really do struggle with the ability to, to form those close relationships, that low affiliation score, um, that low interpersonal sensitivity score makes it difficult for them to form really close relationships with other people. So what are some of the, the characters in pop culture that are most closely associated with the misfit profile? Yeah, so uh, I think there's some actually some lots of them, uh, actually. Um, some people might think, well, this is such a low percentage in the population. How could there, But there are actually lots of characters that fit this. Um, some of the ones that, that we identified from the uh, Avengers series would be someone like Black Widow. Uh, again, you know, kind of keeps her distance, uh, doesn't really want to get too close to anybody. Uh, from the uh, Disney, uh, in the Disney world, we see a character like the Beast uh, from Beauty and the Beast, who again wants to keep his distance, sort of keeps people away, uh, keep people out of the castle, keep people distant from them. Um, they, they just sort of prefer to be on their own and, and, and not, um, they don't want to get too close to anyone for, and in some cases it's because they're afraid that that, that could lead to um, 
unpredictability, right? That if you get close to someone, they might um, split up with you or break up with you or send you away or something. And that, and that can lead to, to instability, which is a real concern for misfits. So I, I think this is one where I'd actually like to see what kind of practical advice or tips you could give to somebody who might score uh, in the in the misfit profile area. Um, what they like from a, a working standpoint, what's some practical advice or tips that you could give this group? You know, what we see in our data is that the misfit groups often end up working in lots of individual contributor roles, lots of roles where they don't have to do a lot of people facing work, which is what they prefer anyway, right? So they really prefer to work in roles where um, they can do a job without having to, um, to do a lot of interacting with other people. A lot of these folks work from home, which is kind of interesting when we have, um, you know, how with, with the COVID thing, that there's lots more people working from home. Um, in many respects, that's a, probably a good fit, uh, the, the, the misfit, oddly, right? That a good fit for misfits <laughs> is going to be jobs where they can work remotely or they can make their own hours. They can, you know, create their own set of predictability, their own stability for their work life. Um, uh, it, I think so that would be my advice would be to find one of those jobs where you can um, sort of uh, work in a way that's predictable, right? That, that, that'll make you feel comfortable, but um, you know, uh, and also get you that um, just there, the right amount of social interaction that you want, which I think for a lot of misfits is, is very little. Okay. So moving on to the last profile we're going to discuss today is the preppers. What do we know about the preppers, Ryan? Yeah, so again, the preppers is another pretty small group. Um, only about six and a half percent of the population fits into this one, and and in some respects, the preppers are similar to the misfits. There's a, there's a lot of similarity between the profiles, but there's a few key differences. So again, we see with the with the preppers that there's a strong motivation for stability. Um, there, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just worry or, or almost fear of bad things happening. Right. And so that's in fact, where the name preppers come from. If you think about like doomsday preppers, so these are people who are always worried about bad stuff happening. And so another way of thinking about this is this is a group who's sort of defensively pessimistic. So they see like bad things on the horizon, so they prepare for them, right? And so that's that's what we see with, with, with this group. So they tend to be fairly introverted, but they're also quite dependable at work. Um, so one of the things that we see that's different from the preppers versus the misfits is we see a, a, a pretty big spike on prudence for this group. And so this group is much more rule following, much more detail oriented. And so this is a group that sort of, um, I would say, is always prepared for the worst, but under stable environments and stable circumstances are actually quite productive, um, can can work in pretty much, uh, you know, most jobs. Again, this is a group that might prefer to work alone, particularly when things aren't very stable. But when things are stable, when things are predictable, they, they can work pretty much functionally anywhere. So I would consider this the profile of 2020. Um, <laughs> these people are sitting in their bunkers laughing at the rest of us while the world falls around, falls down around this. So um, uh, actually at the beginning of the whole uh, pandemic and, and working from home, I, I did, I'll admit, I binge watched like three seasons of Doomsday Preppers. <laughs> Just to think like, wow, you know, I owe it to you all because you were right. We, there's, there's bad stuff coming, but um, so what are some, uh, some examples of characters in pop culture that you would consider preppers? Yeah, from the Avengers series, I think Nick Fury is a pretty good fit. Um, you know, this is somebody who's, you know, I mean, that's kind of his job is to be worried about 
um, bad things happening, right? And so from that standpoint, preppers are really good at this kind of thing, right? Sort of always looking out for the defensive. And in fact, that's something I didn't mention earlier. You know, preppers can really fit well in a team as being someone who is defensively oriented, right? Is, is sort of always looking out for what dangers might lurk ahead. And so, you know, if you have a team that's just full of people who are overconfident, right? So if you have a team full of marketers and networkers who are very positive and optimistic about how things are going to turn out, um, that can be a little bit problematic, right? So having a prepper on the team, you know, can help sort of guide against that, that sort of overconfidence that can get teams into a lot of trouble. So somebody like Nick Fury is a good example. One of my favorite examples is from the movie, the Toy Story series is the character Rex. Um, you know, Rex is sort of like, um, has this, uh, you know, uh, it's time to panic attitude whenever the bad things, you know, he's, he's always worried about bad things happening, right? You know, he's like, oh, something bad's about to happen. Oh, it's going to be terrible. Um, you know, but, but he's always prepared, right? So he sort of is, you know, is ready for these bad things to happen. So. Yeah, it's just the better safe than sorry profile. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Ryan. So with that, is there anything you would like to add before we wrap up this episode about the eight most common personality types that we find uh, via the Hogan suite of assessments? Yeah, I mean, again, I would just want to reiterate the point that we started with is that, you know, nobody is going to fit any one of these profiles perfectly, right? So you don't fit uh, networkers perfectly. I don't fit overachievers perfectly. And, and in fact, in some cases, you know, scales can be completely off, right? That you can go, wow, that's the profile for the scale. And my scale is completely the opposite of that. Um, but the point is that there's probably some theme to that, some core to that, that really does reflect and does resonate with you. And you know, from a utility standpoint, I think that that kind of gives somebody a nice frame of reference to think about. Like if you go, okay, I'm about to have a meeting with someone who's a prepper. Or I'm about to have a meeting with someone who's a networker. Um, you know, you, you kind of know generally what to expect. Um, you kind of know what themes might show up uh, if you're working with this person in the workplace. Um, so, uh, so I think it kind of, you know, it, it's a way of taking something really complex like personality and making it a lot simpler and a lot easier to understand in a quick way. Um, so in that sense, profiles or types are sort of like heuristics. Um, you know, you know, uh, it's the same thing we might do with like a, say like a, even like a penguin, you know, not every penguin's the same, but you kind of go, well, yeah, but a lot of penguins have similar behaviors to other penguins, right? And uh, it's kind of that way with, with these with these profiles. You go, well, of course, not every prepper is the same, not every misfit's the same, but there's a lot of similar behaviors between them. And, and that can be really uh, an instructive and useful heuristic when when working with these kinds of folks or, or even if you know it about yourself. Well, that's awesome. And you know, Ryan, thanks to you for uh, for going through this. I, I've, I've heard you talk about these profiles for so long now. Um, and so a huge thanks to you and your, your data science team for the work they put into this. Uh, it's a lot of fun to, to kind of uh, look at these different categories and, and even the brainstorm we had where we you know, came up with these characters that fit these profiles. It was uh, kind of that was one of those meetings that you just kind of want never to end because it's so much fun. <laughs> but uh, OK, with that, uh, thank you all for tuning in to episode 11 of the Science of Personality podcast. Uh, join us on November 3rd whenever we we promise we will do the episode on successful entrepreneurs where we will bring on Northwestern University professor Dr. Jennifer Tackett to come on and talk about the work that she's done and the research she's doing 
uh, on successful entrepreneurs. So you won't want to miss that. So thanks again for listening and cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time.